it's always been the case that the world seems shitty, <laughs> I guess. Like, well, not all of it's hot. Just like the top layer is the hot layer, but then you, but they get cooled down with the cold feces, so you know. Kind of look like big old cummies. So. Why wow, I do declare. You always want the fresh, warm stuff. Oh, it's the riverboat bandit. Certainly no elected official on the level of the executive would call out a member of the press by name for ridicule or negative commentary. We could... Clack, 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 clack. Uh, okay, yeah, so it happens, but... It... <laughs> he does seem to hate ratings. <laughs> Blurring the lines between fiction and reality and that, like, Pulling your share of the emotional and titty labor. But maybe that's a 9-11 thing? I don't know. He's, I guess he's getting all up in your cheddar business, isn't he? Yeah, we did. Well, they're going to confiscate it quick. Oh. It's by sheer boners, I suppose, but it's all good. This week on Murphy Brown, they really dump a load of potatoes. And, and did the most with what it had. We've seen it all before, so let's reload on a very special episode of shows that sucked and shows that flowed. Buckle up, buttercup, it's a bumpy road. Going deep inside the mainframe secret code. Some of this shit stinks, some of it's gold. Yeah, it's ABC featuring the VIPs of SBTV. Austin G and Dr. DB with our AT&C money. Weird TV is their specialty. It might be all four, just one, two, or three. Cause they're old and kinda busy. So go get ready and take a peek. So set your phasers to download a rarity that we have bestowed. Special moments no one would have showed. Open your body holes cause you're gonna get told. Grab yourself a drink and let's unload In a very special episode We can't get into a screaming match with the Vice President of the United States You're not gonna believe this, but Anne Quell was actually pregnant Hello, dear listeners, and welcome back to a very special spelling competition Where our two top contestants are doing a spell-off of vegetables and fruit right now uh, David, are you feeling ready? Okay. Never. Good. Not with spelling contest. Spell rutabaga. Uh, oh my god. <laughs> R-U-T-A-T-A. I think it's R-O-O-T because it's like a root vegetable. Oh, root. I get it. Ah, I've already lost them, right? Aren't you supposed to ding me? You are doing great, but you have one more contestant who might feel worse than you. Austin, how are you feeling? I know. F-I-N-E, fine. (laughs) He's ready for the spelling bee that he's definitely prepared for. Austin, spell, if you will, zucchini. Mm, I could have done that. Zucchini. (laughs) Z-U-C-C-H-I-N-I. Are you sure that's your final Zucchini. answer, Austin? Because sometimes they live in zoos. Nope, that's my final answer. <laughs> oh, Austin wins the spelling contest despite my meddling. And would it surprise you if I was a political member who was trying to cheat with children and spelled a word wrong? <laughs> that was a vegetable word. That's a very smooth segue into our episode tonight. You say potato, I say potato. You say potato, I say potato. But it's just spelled differently. It's a different spelling. It is season five, episode two of Murphy Brown, where we go into the great 
Dan Quell, Murphy Brown. And I think this is episode one and yes, two. Yeah, so there, uh, you might have gotten a late game Texas that we're just talking about episode two, because it is a two-parter. Oh, oh man. <laughs> David did extra work, everybody. <laughs> what <No>. a loser. <laughs> Nerd. Uh, yeah, this is Murphy Brown, which we haven't done an AVSE on. It's kind of a great show. It's similar to Mary Tyler Moore in terms of it being about a adult lady who's in the media industry, so that's pretty cool. I am your host this evening, Carolyn Maine. Okay. So <laughs> this is Murphy Brown, and it's a very special episode. Austin, what's your experience with Murphy Brown like? Um, this is one of those shows that falls into the, I remember watching it, but I don't remember a lot of specific things about it kind of shows. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also one of those shows that uh, ran a lot longer than I thought it did. Yeah. Like, I don't think it went off the air until like the late nineties. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to have the gruel orphans double check on that. Um, and so I definitely checked out by the time it was, you know, nearing its completion. Uh, but I, I do remember early on, and certainly it was a show that my parents watched, I'm pretty sure, and, like, I was in the room when it was on and um, things like that, and I seem to remember enjoying it. But, uh, yeah, very, very little. This episode I, I remember, but this is, I mean, this is one of those famous episodes. Yeah. Um, you know, I, there's just weird random stuff that I remember from it, but uh, nothing really concrete. Yeah, the, the final... Final episode of the original run of the show aired in May of 1998. Oh, wow. That almost um, got to the millennium. Yeah, which is super because I totally think of this as like, I mean, like this episode's talking about Dan Quayle. Yeah. Um, which which I totally yeah. am like, that's like <laughs> early 90s. And yet this is a show that almost made it to the uh, to the new century. And that's super weird for me because, yeah, I, I didn't follow it. Once I was old enough to kind of be watching things on my own i think i moved on from it Uh, it also doesn't help that this is one of those shows that has proven itself to be largely syndication proof in in that its humor is very topical and political and of the moment and so it doesn't get syndicated as much as like other 10 season shows might have gotten syndicated and so then I didn't have reruns and stuff to kind of reinforce my vague recollections. Right, right. Our copy was definitely being repped by Nick at Night and the kids. Yeah, and it's. I mean, I even I even looked up and there. It's like not streaming anywhere that I could find, and even just like the first season or two was available for purchase through very like Amazon and Apple and whatnot, which is kind of surprising because it just had a an eleventh season revival. Yeah, right. CBS would have like at least made more seasons available to purchase to support that, but I guess not. That's right. That's our next point is that apparently there's already been a revival of it and there's already a season out and has any of us watched it? No. No, No. we haven't. But it's there and Candace (laughs) Bergen is still alive and she's 71, which is very cool. I might check it out now that I remember it's a thing. No one's talking about it. I heard it was fine. (laughs) Hey! Oh, you heard something. It's also canceled. It has also right? been canceled. Yes. Already? Did she yeah, say the yeah. N word on Twitter? <laughs> I don't think that's why it's canceled. I mean, she is 71. So yeah, it's not an excuse. True. David, that's true. what is your familiarity with Murphy Brown? 
Uh, similar to Austin, I remember I'd watch it every once in a while. I was like in middle school, so I probably didn't get all the jokes. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it was on TV, so I was going to watch it. <laughs> yeah. I, I love the threshold for uh, for young David's viewing habits. Like, is the TV on? Yeah. I'm watching it. <laughs> Listen, when as an adult, I hear all the... Uh, analysis of tv ratings that deal with lead-ins and that seems very foreign to me like what who cares about a lead-in to a show like people just watch what they want to watch yet middle school me the lead-in was everything like if i turned to the channel and then something else was on i'm probably gonna just watch that too and so i guess if you want middle schoolers lead-ins are important in my mind i guess <laughs> Um, You're very lucky you watch but, so much television, David, so that you're as professional with watching any television to this day. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, but I remember this controversy. <laughs> I remember kind of seeing it in the news and stuff when I was younger and some discussion on it. And I think I saw the first of this episode of this two-parter uh, when it first aired. Technically, that could have been syndication, but I don't know. I did not know when I started watching it that it ended up being, like, about Dan Quayle. So it's not like I was, like, tuning in for that aspect. <laughs> okay, because but this you is... love Dan Quayle, so you would have definitely tuned in. No, yeah. Well, it's not like I was tuning in because of the controversy or anything. I think I was just watching it because on TV, and then I was like, oh, they're referencing this thing that I saw on the news. Now, that being said... Watching the first episode also has shown me how fragile the human memory is because I have vivid memories of the final scene of the first episode and it's not like how it really is. And it's just. And it, like the broad strokes are similar, but no, like it's just not the same as so what I remember. Baby Boy Mind rewrote the end of the first parter of this two parter. Oh, good for yeah. you. But we're only going to discuss and, and, the second part. Yeah. yeah, I was just gonna say, like, one of the parts is, I remember, like, once she said, like, does this look like I'm glorifying, like, yeah. being a single mother? In my mind, like, the studio audience just loses their mind, and, like, it brings down the house with laughter, and that certainly is not the case. <laughs> in this episode. I think your memory filled like, in the applause, that's great. Yeah, yeah, it was met with mild amusement in the actual episode, but, yeah. Uh, similarly to both of you, you know, I didn't watch it necessarily all the way through to the end, all the way in almost 1999. Wow. I definitely caught it when it was on, mm -hmm. and I would say, like, Roseanne, this is a show where it's, like, feminism in the 90s that you take for granted, and Candace Bergen was ready to really be a sitcom star. She nailed it nice to see her she's like a real actress she's one of the first real actresses that went to tv i guess by real i mean film which doesn't just validate you but it's kind of impressive and this show is really great to see on air and i was really excited to get into just how big the controversy was at the time this is one of the few sitcoms i can think of off the top of my head where they did get into the news because a politician hated them and then they wrote it into the story it's a pretty baller move yeah, and just the way the nature of the show that she's like a DC, like news yeah. person, like it all made sense for him to be talking. Like in the show, them showing his speech still kind of made sense in their world right. too, which is interesting. So yeah, that's what we're gonna be diving into. I'll be right back. Mm -hmm. uh, Carolyn, question for you: 
How do you feel about the fact that the director of this episode is one Peter Boners? Oh my god, yeah! <laughs> I was excited for that part, you guys! <laughs> Which, uh, if memory and the Gruel Orphans are correct, was the original, was the director of the original Good Morning Miss Bliss pilot. <gasps> Which is uh, which is why I think Peter Boners has made a appearance in one of our shows before. <laughs> wow, you're saying this is not our first boner? Uh, this is not our first boner. It's not our first. Speak for yourself, Peter Boner. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I wonder if he likes potatoes because we also feature a bunch of them later on. Spoiler. So that may be a boner trait. Okay, you guys. So. Yeah, uh, the first part of this episode, we'll just mention briefly, it's basically Murphy Brown being a newly single mother and learning how to deal with her baby, which I suppose is, like, pretty hard, depending on you and your baby, right? Fuck, I I had my wife to help, and I don't know how we made it through. I have have the (laughs) utmost respect for single parents of, of any gender. It is insane to imagine trying to keep a little baby alive all by yourself Mm, yeah and if you didn't even know how to hold the baby (laughs) (laughs) right (laughs) she's trying yeah austin you're gonna have to give us all our resident parenting expertise because so far david and i pulled out every time (laughs) Mm -hmm. just in time just in time every time (laughs) (laughs) David, any other notes on episode one before we just blast right past it? Uh, no, I'm trying to, well, I'm going to confuse what happened in episode one and episode switch, two. Which is right when the baby, the friend comes over and the baby gets relaxed. And yeah. And turn on the news and it becomes a timely Dan Quayle thing. Yeah. Yeah, I guess my only other note from the episode is it seemed weird that she didn't know how to hold a baby at yeah. all. Not that that's, like, a woman thing. I feel like that's a human thing that you at least know not to just, like, hold it out like you're holding, like, a... <laughs> or, like, upside or down by the ankle but... or something. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's our uh, big characterization of Murphy, who might be missing a lot of that domesticity that one would take for granted. Mm-hmm. She's kind of the opposite of a June Cleaver. She's a career lady who can't hold no baby. Yeah. <laughs> So Dan Quayle is on the news, and now Murphy has to get mm-hmm. all upset as soon as the baby's relaxed because he comes out for her. It's a call-out post on a national news network, and it really happened, where he decries mm-hmm. uh, moral poverty of values because we are glamorizing single motherhood because we had a sitcom character who didn't have a husband, but did have a baby. Yeah, and it's yeah. interesting too, David, you pointed out yeah. that, you know, Murphy Brown is a, the character is a DC News pundit, and so, you know, she's mm-hmm. in the proximity of Dan Quayle and all that, but it's also, like, it works to their benefit that, like, the show is called Murphy Brown, so that Dan Quayle yeah. in real life can call out the show Murphy Brown, but then they can cut it mm-hmm. such that it basically seems like he's in-universe calling out the character Murphy Brown. Oh, right. He didn't even think about that. I just took it for granted that he was about her character. Exactly. You know, like he, he didn't say, like, you know, Candace Bergen on the show Murphy Brown is glamorizing. It's just, you know, oh, Murphy Brown is glamorizing single motherhood. Right. Yep. Uh, they're against single motherhood, but they're also against abortion, so that all yep. makes Checks sense. Checks out. Too. Totally passes the logic test. <laughs> Good plan, guys. It all becomes anti-sex. That's what I'm saying. I'm not trying not to get yeah. too political, but that's Slash just remember anti-woman. that. Slash anti-woman. 
Yeah. I mean, you can have sex with a woman, just, just probably make it rape or whatever. <laughs> 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 Those do not reflect my viewpoints. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, Murphy's friend Frank, who I believe is like a co-worker on her level or so. Yes. yes. And speaking of fragile memories, yeah. even though I, I think... Logically, I always know this, but mentally, I still can't. I always like when I think of Murphy Brown. Frank is played by who? Joe Rigalbuto. Yeah, Rigalbuto. Yeah, Rigalbuto. Rigalbuto. Oh. But in my my mind, always replaces him with Enrico Calantoni. Who the hell is Enrico Calantoni? No. <laughs> well, let's see. Uh, he was. Well, he's in person injury. He's like, in, for whatever reason, it's from Just oh, Shoot Me is what I yeah. can remember he's, him he's as. Like a, he's like a balding guy. Yeah. And mm-hmm. similarly, you could also kind of swap him out for Pete in 30 Rock. Yes. I have often found Scott Adzit from 30 Rock to be like a latter day Frank from Murphy Brown. Yes. Thank you. It's all <laughs> the same man. And the guy from Just Shoot Me. Yeah. I have, I have a couple of those weird actor swaps. Uh, for you as well, David, later in the episode. Yeah. Ooh, All right. We're going to get there. So that guy is there, and thank God Murphy has this whole cadre of men around her to teach her how to be a mother, because he's got all kinds of great mm-hmm. advice, including who gives a shit about what Dan Quayle says. He's a fucking asshole, <laughs> and he's a bitch. <laughs> Presenting the Pitch Please Podcast. Pitch Please, the game of the 60-second screenplay. It's a fun new game show where players pitch potential productions with pretty much no planning. Armed with only their imagination and a deck of 53 fully illustrated movie cliches like... Sexy hackers. Vaguely European supervillain. Sport dog. Players get one minute to plan it and one minute to pitch it. Pitch Please. It's the big screen in a little package. Take my pitch, please. Now playing the movies from inside, inside your mind. Please play Pitch, Please on the River City Podcast Federation. Look at me, Frank. Am I glamorous? <laughs> Dad Quayle is an idiot who just don't forget, just forget about him. Although to be fair, this is an entire episode dedicated to him, so it's not like they're taking their own advice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There, there is kind of a having their cake and eating it too sort of thing to this. Mm-hmm. It is kind of interesting. I didn't really consider that, Carolyn. That you bring it up that mm-hmm. the 
the one other like main female character in the show really doesn't give Murphy any parenting advice. She, I mean, spoiler alert, she gives <laughs> her some advice on not uh, leaking breast milk on national TV, which I cannot wait. To um, but but it is it's like the two men, the two significant men in her life who kind of like help her out with the like introductory child rearing kind of stuff, which is. Yeah. Something. I don't know if that's good or bad, but it's interesting. It seems like very yeah, untoxic masculinity in the yeah. 90s, which is nice. Yeah, I think her painter friend, yeah. he's, an interest, he's an interesting character throughout this show. Yeah. We can talk about that. Right, and we Well, he was in the first... He's a, he was in, in the first episode, mm-hmm. she it was interviewing nannies, and the painter guy got very invested in which nanny she was picking. Yeah, he was good at it. And, and he was asking different questions. And the only thing I bring up is one of the questions he asks is, if a child, if the kid came down with two different colored socks, what would you do about that? And for whatever reason, that struck me as an actually really interesting parenting question. Because mm-hmm. there's a lot of directions you can take yeah, it. Yeah, Austin, what's your answer? Pick pick mm-hmm. your battles. Two <laughs> socks, that ain't nothing. Well, that's great. Two that's just it. It's like... it. No, I'm, it's one of those, like, it was interesting because she first goes down the road of noting that he has two socks and giving the pers- the kid the option to change, which I think you might want to. Like, maybe the kid didn't realize they put yeah. on different socks and they don't want to be, like... But then she's like, maybe they're colorblind. I'm like, that's another option. But then she said, like, if it just turned out he liked two different colored socks, then she'd have to talk about how unacceptable not adhering to... Uh, clothing norms is and, and that's where i'm like nope that's the wrong answer like once you realize this is just how the kid wants to express themselves you should let them yeah. express themselves you just have to make sure they know what they're doing yeah. too you know? Liam, know that's my two cents from a non liam is in a phase right now where he not every time but occasionally wants to leave the house with two different shoes on Great. so that's it that's where it's like whatever like he's it's a conscious decision he's making we make sure he's got him on the right feet and the left feet yeah <laughs> and then it's like you want to wear two shoes knock yourself out pal yeah there's no reason not to that was pretty hard getting the shoe on the right foot that was hard i me. still have problems with it sometimes thank you <laughs> thank you for admitting that huh? so look how far moral depravity has already slid that now we don't care about the shoes our children wear <laughs> yeah exactly look at that jim was right so yeah murphy is bemoaning how like she just she didn't mean to get pregnant necessarily you know her bearing a child doesn't mean that she did it to like spite the american family so she's bummed out about that but well, yeah. yeah, it kind of comes down to most single parents, their goal was not to be a single parent, right. you know. And th- there's exceptions to that, but I think most of them, they find themselves in a situation where that's the choice they're left with, and that's what they decide to do, which is fine, too. But nobody says being a single parent is better than being two parents in the abstract yeah i think if if anything it's a neutral decision as far as like yeah one is not inherently better or worse than the other but and it just depends on the parents too like if you know and life circumstances and all that kind of stuff Mm -hmm. yeah also who cares because quail's an asshole (laughs) yeah yes so we go back to the office, and then we have a really fun music montage with some Motown and the boss man Miles, who is freaking out over and over again about how much his newspaper reporter is in the news. 
<laughs> yeah, you think this would be great for ratings, right? Yeah. You think you'd be happy about it. Uh, the most dated thing about this episode is the sheer volume of people <laughs> reading newspapers. Yeah. Because <laughs> there's just a whole montage of, uh, mm-hmm. of uh, newspaper reading. And yeah, it's it's there's a weird thing. There's this weird, like, undercurrent in this episode where, like, they're getting mad at the, like media circus surrounding murphy brown but i'm like you're all reporters in yeah. the media complaining about a media circus it's you're weird. all complicit yeah so david the uh the actor who plays uh, murphy's boss i think he's like her producer or something uh is, yeah. is named grant shoud and he is one of those guys who i have to remind myself isn't Larry from Perfect Strangers? Oh, <laughs> that is true. He does have that. It's like if Larry had he... a little son, because he's like a yeah, little yeah. Larry. There's a little bit of physical yeah. resemblance, but just kind of like their mannerisms and their sort of like mm-hmm. general excitability. Yeah, uh, they're like the they... stressy straight man. Yeah, they smush together in my mind. That's fair. Mm-hmm. He's easy to smush because he's little. Man, I miss all these characters. <laughs> And we're not going to, I guess we're not going to really touch on uh, secretaries, because that's kind of a running gag. Let's do, exactly. So, uh, we don't really get it this episode that I chose, but a hallmark of Murphy Brown is that she fires her secretary every time. So, it's a great pop for a guest actor, Mm -hmm. including gentlemen. Ed Alonzo. There you go. Yeah! (laughs) (laughs) The man. The Max. Jumped out of Saves by the Bell. The Max was a secretary, right? <laughs> yep. Yeah. He was one of he was one of Murphy's secretaries. But he did like magic all up on her desk and shit. Yeah. Have we yeah, tried? Was awesome. Is the Max the father? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess I don't know for sure. <laughs> From my last trick, you're pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> don't do that. I know it enjoys that. So yeah. <laughs> We're in the office, and they are all getting hounded by the news. Jim is an actor of great bearing, whose name I don't know, but he's a great newsman, and he played a graggle in a Disney movie about a hunchback. Oh, yeah, he did. He played the one of the gargoyles. Uh, Shout out graggle. Charles Kimbrough is his name. Ah. Uh, Just his great bearing and actorly comportment. Yeah, I'm checking his imdb here and yeah nothing nothing too out of the ordinary lots of voice obviously with the voice lots of uh lots of voice work in various things as he should and then jim calls the media jackals maybe when a man says it they'll listen and we also find out that the press has dubbed uh the this whole controversy or whatever murphy gate is that a joke well i just that it's a reminder of how every fucking political scandal has to have a suffix gate thrown onto it just because <laughs> Watergate was a scandal once oh, upon a time. I seriously I, forgot that was the reason. When this episode aired 92, so mm-hmm. this is well before we ended up with Monica Gate, Lewinsky Gate. Did they really? Oh yeah, no, that was yeah. all the all the Clinton scandal stuff all had gate suffixes attached to Water it gate. and all that, so yeah. Our political thing is so fucking corny, oh my god. <laughs> yeah. I was 
I, I was curious how many, if any, of those newspaper headlines were actually real. Right? That would be curious to know. Right? I know one of the mm. real ones, like, called her a tramp. <laughs> like, in newspapers. Yeah. All big. I don't know if they showed that one. I think they did. I think some of them are real. I don't mm-hmm. know, though, how many are doctored. Yeah. So it's pretty impressive, mm. and the press is all there, and it's a big hubba baloo. And then who shows up? But the man who owns the bar, his name is Frank, and he brought lunch. I think it's some kind of hoagie sandwiches. They look pretty good. Uh, he is played by one Pat Corley, mm. uh, who you most likely remember as the podunk sheriff who arrested Zack Slater and Screech, <laughs> thereby <laughs> delaying their arrival in Vegas for Zack and Kelly's wedding. I don't remember that. Is that when Screech was bailed out by a chubby woman? No, nah, that came later in that TV movie. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. That, wow. So this is when he like pulled o- pulled them over because they were racing Lisa to get to Vegas, and then he threw them into like <laughs> desert jail for a while. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> desert jail. He just like wanted them to suffer because they're out of town or something. Like that. Yeah. 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 <laughs> So this is a little bit of a whole Peter Engel ass reunion. Yeah, there's. I'm yeah. surprised. Like, I did not realize there's so much like <laughs> Saved by the Bell ephemera swirling around Murphy Brown. <laughs> <laughs> Candace Bergen should have showed up in the college year. Right. Right. I think so. Way to go, Peter Boners, for uh, slicing <laughs> it all together. So yeah, Frank is dropping off deli sandwiches, and then he's like trying to yell at the press about being press, and then he chooses to yell at a black man about something inconsequential which is very uncomfortable and then he leaves yeah that's the i don't remember the yelling part well he just kind of shamed him about like oh he shamed him about like recording in the office oh yeah yeah, he's gonna write an article about it later and then they listen to his tape recorder and he's listening to books on tape for a different language so so then he just kind yeah. of like, this yeah. is the only black guy, I think, in this episode, too. So it's pretty uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> like in Buffy when she stole that student sandwich. <laughs> I think one of the single dads near the end was also oh, black. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Spoiler. No, that's fine. Yeah, we have a bunch of family people show yep. up later. So that, plenty of diversity. Don't worry about yeah. it. That's true. We checked that box, yeah. too. <laughs> but it's kind of funny to put a lampshade on Frank being an asshole, too. No, wait. His name is... So, yeah, uh, Phil steps in it, and then he offers the employee uh, his choice of pasta primavera free later at the bar. So at least there's that, you know? Yeah, I'd take him up on that. Right? I feel like you would and Ryan would if he were here. I mean, free pasta is free pasta. <laughs> I'm not going to turn on my nose at that. Yeah. Right? Although, I do get skeptical about bar pasta. That's true. <laughs> but I don't know. Depends on what his main dish is. Then. Yeah, for a place that looks like a like drinking hangout that delivers hoagies at lunch, I'm not sure that they've got the best uh, pasta primavera pasta. in town. But who knows? I yeah. feel like they take the sandwiches that don't sell and they turn them into the pasta the next day. <laughs> Damn, exactly. Now I want a sandwich. Right? I know. I'm getting hungry here. We're going to have to stop now. <laughs> Pasta break. <laughs> Regroup.
Oh, I just love sitting down with some anime after work. Let me just grab my remote. What is this? Space Adventure Cobra? Daybreak Illusion Otome Okai? What? What is this? Not I need some help. Yes! Who are you? Shane, play the theme music. Uh, done. Hi, I'm Shane Hosey. I'm Craig May. Hi. We hosted a podcast called Anime at the Gates. Where we watch every single anime ever and review it. We'll help you with your anime dilemma. There's too much anime to sift through. We could do it for you. Check out our podcast, dummy. Yeah. You dumb dummy. You idiot. Let's you go. stupid Philistine. We're going to leave you now. All right, bye. Well, thanks, boys. Is it true that the network is considering taking Murphy off the air? Absolutely not. As far as the network is concerned, she's just another reporter on maternity leave. Now, I... why isn't she making a statement about what's now been labeled Murphy Gate? What a said that uh, he's, he's oh, drank yeah. so much Mylanta he's spitting up chalk or something like that. <laughs> yeah, we just go right back to the office after Peter Boner's. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and yeah. Miles is uh, doing a press briefing for all the extra press that are in his press office. And, oh, this is where Miles says that you don't keep a woman like Murphy Brown quiet. But again, you'd think ratings would be through the roof if this is what's going on, you know? Right? Right? Yeah. That he would so like I don't it. know what he's worried about. Yeah. I guess it was different rules. This was still it's throwback to a simpler age. All these problems are yeah, like quaint now, which is nice. When when the news was neutral and you weren't supposed to take a stand one way or another. Or yeah, that like bad good ratings. At least that illusion was right, there. Good ratings at the expense of the perception of yeah. your neutrality isn't a trade off that mm. networks were willing to make. Versus today, where they'll do anything for ratings, right? Although Murphy Brown had always been, wasn't she more of a like a pundit or a, not a columnist because she's not in a. Yeah, I mean, she, I think she's but, like technically like the co-anchor of their news program, but it's definitely more <laughs> of a like sixty minutes. Uh, there's a term for this, yeah, like a news show editorial. Yeah, versus like a like evening news kind yeah. of thing. So there was always more mm. of a personal political perspective to what they aired versus just like the you know tonight on the six o'clock news. Here's our top stories kind yeah. of thing. 
News Magazine show. That's the... Oh, yeah. 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 So then uh, Frank, the bald friend employee man, comes on in with the other <laughs> unseen so far reporter, Corky. And Frank is just hassling Corky with all kinds of Murphy Brown opinions, because that's all, anything anybody wants to talk about. And <laughs> her public opinion, indeed, with the ratings is going up, 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 which is great, because Murphy was sad before when she didn't beat Spuds McKenzie in a popularity poll. In Spuds' defense, he is a pretty cute dog. He's a party and animal. he's a party How animal. How could he so, lose? Yeah. Uh, so at what age do you stop knowing who Spuds McKenzie is? Definitely already happened with 30-year-olds already. Like, I think we know, all of us clearly are people of distinguishment and know who yeah. Spuds McKenzie is, but... And but but then how messed up is it that, like, we're in middle school and we know who Spuds McKenzie <laughs> is? Like... <laughs> Probably should give you a little clue at who the they're advertising to. Yeah. But it's true. We were too young to know who Spuds McKenzie is. We weren't drinking yet, but now we are, mm. so we can appreciate that. Yeah, dog. that's how we learned. No, I knew. <laughs> <laughs> I knew Spuds McKenzie and Joe Camel was when I was in like fifth grade. So. Yeah, what does that say? I think they, I think they made some <laughs> laws that you can't use cool dogs anymore, except for like depression medicine. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Boner medicine for cigarettes. That yeah, like you can't you can't use like cartoon anthropomorphic kind of stuff mm. to sell like cigarettes and alcohol and stuff. Too bad. Well, mm. more moral depravity. Mm -hmm. Back to TNA. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, uh, people are even asking, saying that Murphy Brown might be a better president than what would be the first George Bush. That's when this happened. Yeah, that's a low bar to clear. Though, oh my so. god, but it keeps getting lower, David. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It's a, the, the limbo game is strong on, <laughs> on certain <laughs> We limbo! But. Uh, it is interesting, so uh, uh, crap, what the hell is his name? Frank? Jim? Which? Jim. Mm -hmm. uh, Jim, yeah. the, Sonor the yeah. Sonorous Newsman. Uh, is he he starts waxing philosophical about the oh, yeah. the world we live in and and all this we get a nice Batman Returns shout out uh, right. About how the, <laughs> right the most popular movie in America involves a woman in a cat suit licking a man in a bat suit and he doesn't even know how the man in the penguin suit fits into that um, which is a reminder of how Once yeah. Upon a Time Batman Returns was like the biggest movie around. Right, yes. and Austin, he also shits on the Terminator. Too. Yeah, yeah, he talks about how the the administration is trotting out the Terminator to dissuade kids from doing drugs. I don't guess I don't remember that, but I'll take his word for it. <laughs> uh, but he talks about how we live in confusing times, and he's worried about the you know moral decay of uh, the country or whatever. I just was like, oh, Betty, they're only gonna get more confusing, <laughs> which, is, I know. which is just a testament to the fact that like. I, it, in no way, shape, or form do I want to belittle the circumstances, you know, the current political circumstances of our world, but there is, it has always been the case that the world seems shitty, I guess. Like, everybody always thinks that we're slouching towards Bethlehem, and we probably always are, and it's just a matter of pace and how fast we're getting there that changes. Yeah, but it's... It's kind of interesting that, like, a show like Murphy Brown worked in the 90s, but 
these shows don't work today, which probably to me suggests it's worth worse today yeah. because now people just want to escape from reality and don't want to be reminded of the news where in the 90s they're at least willing to confront it because they probably didn't seem as dire. Right. For them. right. Can you imagine when our big problems was Batman? Like yeah. <laughs> Michael Keaton's Batman? <laughs> Not Christopher Nolan, but wow. Mm. Yeah. What a quaint, genteel age. They look like Victorian era people who are scandalized by ankles. It's Yes. Well, to be fair, ankles are a bit extreme. You know, oh, I yeah. still think. Hey. Why I do declare? <laughs> Goodness. Yeah. No. Shit's gone downhill since Candenbergen turned thirty-five years old, mm-hmm. or however old she's supposed to be. Oh, and so you mentioned briefly uh, Corky in, uh-huh. in passing. Uh, who's the? Yeah. Who's the other female? I think she's also sort of the what we would call today the the token red state voice because she she has a southern drawl and grew up in in uh you know god's country and doesn't cotton to this single mother nonsense but uh also realizes that some of the other things she was she would done learned as a kid ain't ain't so good now either and uh anyway uh she would be another example uh of an actress that i always confuse with other actresses (laughs) so she is played by an actress named faith ford who mm-hmm. was in a TV show called Hope and Faith, in which right. Hope was played by Kelly Ripa, who went on to co-host Live with Regis and Kelly alongside Regis Philbin. And for a long time, I would think that Corky from Murphy Brown was co-hosting with Regis Philbin. Oh, <laughs> that's a better alternate timeline. Mostly because they were in this sitcom together and were both like blonde women that had sort of a similar perky disposition. Yeah, yeah. I remember that. Uh, yeah, so she has, Corky has this really good moment here, and yeah, she is like the the southern lady foil to Murphy with all of those lady bits, but then she talks about how, well, she was raised to think that being a single mother wasn't right, but she was also raised to believe that a lot of things aren't right, and then she unpacks them right there, so it's this great moment of her becoming woke before she probably rejects it. <laughs> so I couldn't have been lied to growing up. Eh? Right? No. Yeah, no. It goes back to church. <laughs> <laughs> so then we go back to Murphy Brown's house where she is dealing with being a single mother. Austin, I take it, having a child, the first couple baby weeks are especially difficult? Question mark. Uh, yes, they are difficult. <laughs> Um, yeah, no, I totally like the, 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 the depiction here of Murphy just being like super sleep deprived and whatnot. Um, I, I still remember, uh, with no amount of affection, the first couple of nights after we (laughs) brought Liam home from the hospital and you're just like exhausted and you can't get more than like a few hours of sleep at a time because they're babies and they need to eat all the time. And so they're waking up and want to be fed and yeah. And they're terrible podcast guests for the first five years. Yeah, they really are. They don't really, they don't really find their voice, their comedic voice, until six or seven. I bet he's getting some really good jokes on you. By oh, now. totally, totally. Mm. So yeah, Murphy is staying harried in these pajamas, which is great because the rest of the series you'll see her in just really powerful lady business suits. And her pajamas have baseballs on them, but to me, in our grainy footage, they kind of look like big old cummies. So, <laughs> what? <laughs> they look 
Okay. <laughs> Which is a really good postpartum pajama, I think. <laughs> I've never heard of them referred to as cuffies. <laughs> really? <laughs> no. I'm glad to be first. <laughs> yeah. You know, you learn something new every day. And Murphy Brown, oh, by the way, is refusing to name her child until she feels like the name is good, so... She just calls it different names on it. Yeah, isn't apparently... that... I think that's like a running gig through yeah. a chunk of this season, maybe? I feel like it mm-hmm. goes beyond just these two episodes. Yeah, like kind of like her secretary. It's like yeah. the teaser that she toys with. Yeah. Speaking of chunks, the baby's chunk of a belly button falls off. What? Yeah. Is that real? Awesome? That is also real and kind of gross. I mean, wow. when it happens, it's basically just like cool. a big scab, but it's still kind of gross. Wow. I think it'd be awesome if, like, the kid's, like, five and still doesn't have a name. (laughs) (laughs) She just can't decide. That's when she finally names the baby after his father, Ed Alonzo. (laughs) (laughs) I think she ends up naming the baby Avery, if memory serves. Oh, yeah, that sounds right. Don't don't ask me why that, of all things, is rattling around inside my head still, but... Yeah, you remember a lot more about this show than I do. <laughs> that was a good remembering. Uh, so this is our first yeah. scene in this episode with, with the painter, Eldon is his name, yes, I, I believe. I believe it is Eldon, which is not quite Elton. Yes. Yeah, and that's another, I I think, it's not necessarily like a recurring gag, but like the idea is in like an early episode, she hires him to like paint her house. And then he's in, like, every episode of the show. And you're like, yeah. how long does it take him to paint this fucking house? And so I don't think it's a, a running gag, but I believe the show was aware that it was ridiculous that he was sticking around for so long just to paint her house, but they just ran with it anyway. Mm-hmm. I could be misremembering. Yeah, I, I think eventually he does become her nanny for the baby. I think he's a roommate at this that point. That could be, too. I think they get romantically involved at one point, too. Do they? That seems a little... I could be, ro- I could be wrong right. about that. That's know. definitely, like... Post after I well, I'm not saying you're not right. I'm just saying I don't know if that's the story I want to. <laughs> you're definitely gonna watch it, David. That's my next episode. <laughs> I'm shipping him right now. They totally do it. He is played by an actor named Robert Pastorelli, um, who parlayed his uh, his run on Murphy Brown into a handful of film roles, including uh, Striking Distance, in which he played the bad guy. That would be a Bruce Willis Sarah Jessica Parker movie. When uh, Bruce Willis <laughs> plays a riverboat cop in Pittsburgh. If you say so. <laughs> if From a family of, like, Italian uh, uh, police officers. It's one of my favorite terrible movies. Really? Yeah, I know. It's, it's, it's really not good. Well, it's like, it's got, like, Dennis <laughs> Farina and this guy and uh, uh, a young uh, Tom Sizemore. And oh, wow. they're all playing these, like, super stereotypical Italian cops and... Uh, it's it's all over the top and ridiculous. So when you saw him show up, you were like, oh, it's the riverboat bandit. Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. I was like, oh, it's the bad guy from Striking Distance. Who's the good cop <laughs> now, Jimmy? <laughs> I like that hyper-specific reference. Right? Yeah, I know. Striking Distance Lair. That sounds like my kind of garbage. Yeah, it's totally. It's, it's, it's trashy fun. Yay. This is not your case. You understand me? Should have never put him in the water if they didn't want him to make waves. 
can't wait to show it to her. They should make up for that TV Guide poll where she came in behind Spud McKenzie on a list of celebrities. <laughs> Venn diagram of uh, the center for people who listen to this podcast and get this reference. It's a very, it's like me and maybe one other person. <laughs> Let us know, listeners. Austin, you don't listen to this podcast. <laughs> if you're listening to this and you also know what the hell striking distance is, hit us up and let me know. <laughs> like and review, five stars. Yeah. Uh, so striking distance is very cool, and Eldon, you know, he's always got like his painter clothes on and some paint, and, mm-hmm. and he's telling Murphy to come to her senses more or less. He yells at a reporter who's outside and tells Murphy they've got to just at least talk to the press, and maybe she should pull herself together and not become a total shut-in while she's at it. Then she dumps shit on a reporter. Man, I wish yeah. we could all we could throw diapers at all of our problems. Diaper nine one one. Yeah, so she gives her statement, and it is a bag of hot baby feces. <laughs> well, not all of it. Just like the top layer is the hot layer, but then you, but they get cooled down with the cold feces. So you know, it's all good. That's a tip to give a press statement with only the hottest feces. You have to like. You yeah. Need a hot plate to get it there. A little. <laughs> You're saying she should have microwaved a few of those yeah. bottom bags, just the. Yeah. Well, it'll be looser. It'll be yeah. looser that way too, so it'll kind of schmear and make more of a mess mm-hmm. when it hits. Yeah. Because everybody hates having those first couple guests right when you're readjusting to the new baby, so just like <laughs> the old oil cauldron on them, right? <laughs> That's what you did, Austin. Oh, totally, totally, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's why you had to move. (laughs) (laughs) The neighbors had had enough. (laughs) (laughs) So, the lack of sleep and the lack of baby name, Murphy Brown says she's evolved into a lighter being. And that the reporters are outside hounding her so much that they want to make 3D breastfeeding billboards. Which sounds like a really cool billboard, actually. Right? Right? I start to wonder if this would be as big a deal in real life than they're portraying it. I mean, in like, the 90s, it might, yeah. Maybe. 
I mean, you know, the I guess it'd be the vice president calling out an individual reporter. <laughs> it would be like whatever the fuck Mike Pence. Certainly no elected official on the level of the executive <laughs> would call out a member of the press by name for ridicule or negative commentary. We could. I, I, okay, yeah, so it happens, but it's not like that member of the press is like hounded relentlessly after that, but I don't know. Yeah, maybe. That's where I'm like, but it was a different time. Yeah, at maybe that if point it happened too, in 92, then... that would have, in real life, that would have happened. I don't know. Joe yeah. Biden just bitching about the Sopranos ending. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, Murphy's gonna try to go outside again and figure this out. We go back to the office. Murphy Brown is gonna make a statement. She's gonna make a big old thing on the studio. Yeah. She's gonna fucking take them on head first. And Miles hates ratings, so he's trying to talk her out of it. <laughs> he and does seem to hate ratings. He hates Although, them. to be fair, I feel like I'm not sure the segment Murphy Brown has planned is going to be like a ratings juggernaut. But sure, why? Well, but it's <laughs> the 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 assumption that I took from it was that like this was her first mm-hmm. segment back since the controversy erupted, yeah. and so like that alone is going to put eyeballs on it, even if the subject is fairly benign. Yeah. All right. Yeah, I'll, I'll buy that, Austin. But just in case Murphy loses her nerve, they can play an unaired segment of Corky going Steve Brule on some wine. Which <laughs> also sounds pretty good. I guess that's one of those references that doesn't air well for repeats. <laughs> Steve Brule? Now he's in the future. I'll make you watch Tim and Eric later. Okay. I will. I might. You can refuse. You might hate it. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, so Murphy's gonna do it, and how much did you guys like this 1980s TV news studio? I was, it was comforting in a nostalgic sort of way. Mm-hmm. It had, like, three regular-sized TVs, and, like, a big, <laughs> shapey desk, and, uh, and, like, you know, those three TVs were, like, stacked in the walls, so they looked really impressive, but it was still only, like, three TVs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And this is when Murphy Brown gets on her soapbox and gives a grandstanding speech about the moral integrity of having babies, even if you Mm -hmm. don't have a husband. And she really does some really good jabs at a vice presidential candidate criticizing her for her choices. And maybe a single mother isn't the exact right person to blame for all the failures of the American system. Probably a good lesson to learn yeah right? yeah i liked her I, li- I liked her i liked her little speech there i thought that was good mm-hmm. yeah she says that it's either a cynical bit of electoral posturing or maybe dan quayle is sincere but to blame the social ills on of perhaps media congress or republicans on just one lady maybe isn't so fair mm-hmm. oh and real quick before she gets on air Corky has a really helpful tip to Murphy about don't even think about your baby because then you will lactate on news like some kind of terrible, terrible meme. (laughs) Any notes on that, Austin? You might know about lactating during a podcast. Yeah, have you lactated during a podcast? (laughs) Oh, you might be frozen. Oh, no, he's lactating right now. (laughs) We need to go to the lactation room. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, Austin, I'll just set you up here. I asked you about a 
lactating process and what's yeah. it like to lactate right during your news show or podcast <laughs> if you know Unfor- unfortunately the act of lactation is uh, one element of parenthood that i can't speak to personally mm, likely story right I heard men can if they really try, so maybe you should try harder, Austin. I will keep that in mind when the next one comes along. (laughs) There you go. I want you pulling your share of the emotional (laughs) and titty labor. Will do. (laughs) And then Jim acts a little scared about Murphy lactating because he's a stuffed shirt. So that's great. And then, yeah, Murphy gives this great speech about how families don't have to be a narrow definition and you can't just punish poor people because they don't have two parents. Well, she didn't say that, but it's implied. (laughs) And family can be anything. And then she brings out a whole bunch of actual diverse and non-traditional families with single parents. And I gathered from the correct research team that those Mm -hmm. were actual real families that the show reached out to and brought online and not like actors playing families, I guess. (laughs) That's kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. We had some actual diversity and some actual non-traditional families and real people who were very happy to be on the show another example of the weird way that this like that this show and this episode was like blurring the lines between fiction and reality and that like the way it was using actual quotes from the real dan quayle and its fictional narrative and then responded with actual single parents from the real world kind of a thing it was it's interesting yeah yeah, it's a real meta, but kind of fake, but documentary-ish show. And so, yeah, they're just saying what's up with new families and American values on FYI. FYI, that's the name of the show. And <laughs> all those real people are there. And they say that Dan Quayle is a idiot asshole and a stupid old bitch. <laughs> I, I guess I missed that part. <laughs> he did. <laughs> One of those children said it. <laughs> So he pretty much totally gets told. And Mm -hmm. it was a really nice mixer for all those single parents to meet each other. I bet it was a fun cast party for them. Yeah, yeah, that is a nice little mixer they're having right there, right? Right? Maybe a little Brady Bunch action? Yeah, who knows what happened on screen there. Maybe that did pop some ratings. Maybe it made some more traditional families that Dan (laughs) Will could like more. (laughs) But they did it the right way. Mm-hmm. So after that major victory and returning to work, but still being on maternity leave, Murphy goes back to her house and continues her maternity leave. And her hence entirely still yet unnamed baby is crying at night, and Murphy is holding it like a um, beanbag pillow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, here's here's a hot tip for, uh, for all the parents <laughs> out there. Uh, when your baby... Wait, so So Murphy's got the baby in like the crib at the foot of her bed. Uh, mm-hmm. Which is which is a good tactic, especially when they're like super newborns like that. Just you, know, you keep the crib, the bassinet, whatever, right in the room. I I would have put it right on my side of the bed so that you could just like get to the baby without having to stand up and cross to where the the, the crib is at the foot of the bed. Um, would but, you take turns with that, or was it all was the baby always on your side? Uh, well, it was always on my wife's side, just because okay. at that point. The baby's waking up because he wants to be fed, and she's the one that was doing the feeding. Mm -hmm. Um, No thanks to you, Austin. Right? No, my my poor little man nubs just weren't keeping up there. Um, (laughs) Hot tip for parents, new, new parents. 
when the baby wakes you up in the middle uh-huh. of the night, you don't need to turn all of the lights in your room on. <laughs> which, of course, they always do on TV because it's a TV show and it needs to be lit so we can see what the hell is happening. But it's like <laughs> Murphy wakes up and like the room immediately brightens up. Like, well, that baby ain't going back to sleep now. <laughs> uh, so you don't have to light your baby like it's on TV. That's a pretty good tip. Yeah, yeah, yeah totally. Don't blind your baby once it wakes mm-hmm. up. Is that... So you keep the baby on one side like a nightstand. I like it. I get that. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. It becomes like a, a new nightstand kind of a deal. Mm-hmm. So yeah, Murphy is having a hard talk with her baby and uh, just kind of telling it what a great thing she did at work today. So why isn't the baby happy? And luckily, that's when she figures out what the baby likes. But unfortunately, it is very Manilow. <laughs> is it unfortunately? <laughs> right. It is unfortunate. Well, I think, I think, um, uh, Murphy's, her, like, love of Motown is, like, a recurring character trait for her, so I'm sure, like, for her, it's terrible that he likes Barry Mm Manilow. Yes, she immediately suggests some beautiful Motown singers that we don't get into. Her baby is corny (laughs) and likes disco. Yeah. yeah, speaking of the series as a whole, one Murphy Brown moment that has definitely been parodied, I think is when she first has her baby, and she, like, slow dances and sings that song, Natural Woman. Yeah. And she's, like, a bad singer a little bit, but she's, like, still doing it because she got heart. They definitely did that in The Simpsons with an iguana mm-hmm. named Austin. <laughs> jug Jug. You got it. (laughs) (laughs) Which is a reference I did not get in The Simpsons when I saw it way back then. I don't know that I knew that until just now. That that when Selma was singing to Jub Jub, it was a a reference to Murphy Brown. It was. It absolutely was. That's one of my favorite Simpsons episodes, too. That's Duff Gardens. That's a great one, yeah. I am (laughs) the Lizard Queen! (laughs) (laughs) Oh, the Disney Jail, or whatever you call it. (laughs) Bort. <laughs> we are all out of Bort license plates. <laughs> that's a different. That's a different theme park episode. Same Bort. deal, though. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, we're listening to Lola by Barry Manilow, and I oddly enough just listened to it. it. Is corny, but it's pretty catchy. Hey, hey, David, how did you? Uh, yeah. d- did you appreciate the way that when she changed radio stations to see what else was on? the radio station playing Barry Manilow helpfully stopped that song until she came back to <laughs> Yeah, I know. <laughs> they could only afford the rights sequentially. Well, it's one of those where, like, it, it's, a cute, it's a cute bit where, like, she wants Motown to soothe the baby, but it's Barry Manilow and all that. But it, and so he immediately starts crying as soon as she switches the station. And I'm like, but you've got, like, three minutes tops before the station is going to play something other than Barry Manilow. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, it isn't like you could just put on the Barry Manilow Spotify playlist. You could just probably wait out the Manilow. Yeah. Well, she's trying, but it's not a phase. <laughs> I bet on her new show, Avery is like a grown-up millennial who still loves Manilow, but he's like pretending it's ironic. Uh, yes, if I remember correctly, he's actually like a news person on a different network or a different station or something like that. Like he is a grown ass man that has followed in her footsteps to some degree. Can't is wait. he a fan of low, though? Is the question. <laughs> I don't know. If, yeah, I don't know if that gets brought up. Uh, they should. They should. It's canon. <clears throat>
pro-life wants me to speak, pro-choice wants me to speak, and pro-breastfeeding wants me to do it on three-dimensional billboards. Coming <laughs> out loud. I'm going to give you an exclusive. Closer. Yeah, that's better. Come on. Hand me that diaper pail. <laughs> Lift it up. Murphy, are you sure you're up to this? Because... I've read that sometimes just thinking about your baby can stimulate milk production in a nursing mother. Because people forget about unwed mothers. But staining a blouse on national television is something they'll talk about forever. The woman is a profession. I'm not in any danger. of canon this is not anything to do with the series murphy brown but did you guys know that candace bergen lived in a mansion that was menaced by that spooky serial killer charles manson really yeah and i guess he's not like a killer directly because he more like tricked people into doing crimes for him so you're saying so you're saying she lived in a manson mansion that's it exactly she lived in a mansion Yeah, she was like one of the first mansions that got like cased by him when he was trolling Hollywood and doing creepy crawls. I mean, like definitely went in and left, but he wasn't quite hmm. at the murder point yet, thankfully. And that's when Candace Bur- Candace Cameron. Candace <laughs> Cameron. Candace Cameron. <laughs> oh dang, I did. Yeah, that's when Candace Bergen <laughs> uh, decided that she wanted to go back to like a nicer, protected house because she had money and. Yeah, you can do that kind of thing. Right? It was a spooky day. So, but anyways, though, uh, the little baby is listening to Barry Manilow, and that's the first thing the baby liked. And the second thing the baby likes, Frank, the almost bald business friend, shows up and thankfully gives us some lessons for how to actually uh, soothe and comfort and hold a baby. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep. (laughs) And then he tries to lactate the baby, but just like Austin, <laughs> he's an abject failure. <laughs> and yeah, that is it. Except we go to darkness. And then we get talk radio. And then we get a shot of a truck dumping <laughs> over a thousand pounds of potatoes on the White House parking lot. What? It was at the White House. It's in front of the Vice President's house. Well, right? see, oh. that's what I wondered about. Because... Technically, oh. the vice president lives at number one observatory circle. Why does Austin just know that? <laughs> uh, but, and I'm pretty sure that, that like, that's where Dan Quayle would have lived. Like, there's been some weird periods of time where, like, it's under renovation and stuff. And vice presidents have lived at, like, the Blair House, which is the presidential guest house. But it seemed like, Damn. from the way that it was shot, that we were supposed to... Because I don't think uh, number one observatory circle has the big like fence out front where you can kind of see the house behind it the way that the white house does but i don't know damn austin you know your vice presidential mm-hmm. housing i was just i also wondered where security was for this well, that's, yeah, that's another one of those where i'm like is it just because it's 1992 that you could like park a delivery yeah. truck in front of whatever house that was because <laughs> you, you certainly can't now wherever the vice president is but maybe that's a 9-11 thing? I don't know. Yeah, you can still take a potato right on the plane. <laughs> that, that is true. You could bring them on the plane. <laughs> oh, this is my personal potato. I'll be storing it with me. Thank you. 
One time we were coming back, as you know, Wisconsin, famous for cheese, right? And we had like several bricks of cheese in our luggage that looked just a little bit like uh, explosive. Bricks of other things. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Then we had to unzip and like just stare at the guy like, yeah, we bought five bricks of this crystal cheddar. Yeah, we did. I think that guy (laughs) was just trying to get a punk of your cheese. Wants a slice of yeah. the cheddar. He wants a slice <laughs> yeah. of that sweet, sweet cheddar. I guess he's getting all up in your cheddar business. Isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> then we like ate the cheese. We like deep throated a brick each because they weren't gonna let us take it. It's confiscated. Quick. <laughs> we were so sweaty on the plane. <laughs> <laughs> other plane's like, look at them. They've got the cheese sweats. <laughs> <laughs> Happens to a lot of people leaving Wisconsin. That's what I was going to say. You blend it. You just fit right in with like 75% of the plane. Yeah, we kept it nice and toasty after all that. (laughs) It looks exactly like people leaving a city known for its cocaine. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, regardless of what house they dumped all those potatoes in front of, it was an odd ending for the episode. Yeah. (laughs) So I think I watched this episode when it came on. You know, I must have been, like, grade school or whatever. And it was... Uh, I definitely watched it for the controversy. I think it had yeah. plenty of commercials leading up to, like, this week on Murphy Brown, they really dump a load of potatoes. <laughs> <laughs> I bet they didn't say that, but <laughs> yeah, really good commercials, and I was amped for it. And then it just... Those potatoes coming out of that truck just felt like the biggest fuck you move in the <laughs> world. <laughs> Because he spelled potato wrong that one time. Mm-hmm. Right? That's called political activism, Austin. Direct action <laughs> the goods. Yeah. Bring that back. Bring back the potatoes. Yep. And that's how this... Yep, it ends with the potatoes. <laughs> I don't think I found it as funny as the show thought it was, you but... No, looking back, it's not like biting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like soft mashed satire i don't know it it was it was cool then but now it's just like well they Mm -hmm. Mm, mashed satire Mm -hmm. statement when are we gonna do mashed you guys oh yeah mash yeah should get my dad on for that one we definitely should get your dad (laughs) 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 uh uh, we could point out that dan quill later like sent a stuffed elephant to Candace Bergen as like a baby gift. Yeah. Oh. Like as a apology basically. I read in an article too that he said later, I don't even know the show that well. <laughs> Please stop yeah. talking to me about <laughs> it. <laughs> but then Candace Bergen in uh, <laughs> that she said in an interview, I was trying to see what time when this was. 1992? Well, no, when this interview occurred, because oh, I yeah. thought it was like 2000-something. But she said, uh, I never really said much about the whole episode, which was endless. But his speech, that's Dan Quill she's referring to, was a perfectly intelligent speech about fathers not being dispensable. And nobody agreed with that more than I did. So take that, men. We don't need you anymore. <laughs> well, that's it was just saying the opposite oh, of that. But. the men are okay? I guess. That fathers are not dispensable. 
or are indispensable. I remember them. And so I just found it, I don't know, yeah. disappointing that she agreed with Dan Quayle, that she said nobody agreed with Dan Quayle more than she did. Yeah, I guess that's a little like B. Arthur when she took a couple steps back from saying something good. Yeah. It's just like, well, sometimes their character is a little better than the lady, the actress. And it's like, I guess if you just took his speech to strictly mean that fathers are important to a child, that in some way you're like, yes, that's true, but... That's not what he meant. I don't know. Everything's in bad faith. And one and indis indispensable is such a low like. Yeah, they are dispensable. They are. You, like, can, you, you can, don't need like, a father. You can you raise know? a healthy child without a father. Yeah. Like, yeah. Would it be easier? Would they turn out like? Sure, but it can be done, and that <laughs> so just by definition, it can be done well. It's it not indispensable. Right, mm-hmm. and it's kind of like a dispensable cup. Or a water dispenser. It sounds really transitory and temporary, which technically is all you need out of the man to get a baby going. <laughs> Very quick business, but... Don't I know it. Right? <laughs> that's, that's what's called taking care of business. Thank you. <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> but then after that, you know, provided the guy is, like, decent, he will hopefully help unless he's not, in which case it's much better to have one parent than one parent and yeah. a really bad parent, which is why yes. it's great that, that divorce is... is so much more socially acceptable, I hope, mm-hmm. these days, at least a while ago. Yes, there's, in an ideal world, every child would have two parents mm-hmm. that are there and involved in their lives and loving, but this isn't an ideal world, and there's plenty of scenarios where one parent is better than both parents, so right. you just have to move on from there, and that's just how things work. Let's yep. get open to it. A lot of alternative mm-hmm. families deserve respect. Yes. subject that has become the center of a national debate. To begin, we turn to reporter Murphy Brown. Vice President Quayle used me as an example of the poverty of values in this country and implied that I was a poor role model for our nation's youth. While some might argue that attacking my status as a single mother was nothing more than a cynical bit of election year posturing, these are difficult times for our country and in searching for the causes of our social ills, We could choose to blame the media, or the Congress, or an administration that's been in power for 12 years, or we could blame me. (laughs) I doubt that my status as a single mother has contributed all that much to the breakdown of Western civilization. But tonight's program should not be simply about blame. Vice President says he felt it was important to open a dialogue about family values, and on that point, we agree. Unfortunately, it seems that for him, the only acceptable definition of a family is a mother, a father, and children. And in a country where millions of children grow up in non-traditional families, that definition seems painfully unfair. Perhaps it's time for the Vice President to expand his definition and recognize that whether by choice or circumstance, families come in all shapes and sizes, and ultimately, what really defines a family is commitment, 
caring, and love. With that in mind, I'd like to introduce you to some people who might not fit into the vice president's vision of a family, but they consider themselves families nonetheless. They work, they struggle, they hope for the kind of life for their children that we all want for our children. And these are the people we should be paying attention to. Welcome to FYI. Would you introduce yourself, please? Pretty much Murphy Brown, the big you say potato, I say potato spelled correctly, hullabaloo. <laughs> what a big fake news media uh, ripping on Republicans time we had. Hope we lost a couple more listeners. <laughs> I feel like they've already left by now. <laughs> I should hope so. Austin, how special did you feel this episode was? Um, Pretty special. I thought it did a, a good job. Um of making its point without getting too preachy. I mean, the right. you know, the the idea that non-traditional families are still families and have have value and have worth. Um it, it, I thought it was interesting cuz it, it's a relatively quiet, I guess, episode. Like there's just three set pieces basically. Um you know, and part of that's just sitcoms, multicam sitcoms in the early '90s. But like, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's not it's not super flashy. It's not uh, um, it's not like bigger than any given episode of Murphy Brown in terms of like production values or anything. Despite the fact that it probably had a significant number of increased eyeballs on it, um, but yeah, I, I thought it it uh, took advantage of those eyeballs and and did the most with what it had. <laughs> well, great point, Austin. <laughs> Thanks, Carolyn. <laughs> I couldn't agree more. Right? Yeah, do you, what do you think was special about this episode, if anything? Well, I mean, the one thing I learned is that you're yeah. supposed to warm poop before throwing it on. <laughs> so, uh, well, I guess it never occurred to me that you could rewarm it. You know, I mean, I knew you always want the fresh warm stuff but i'd never thought about the fact that if you that's not on hand you could still use a microwave to simulate the fresh warm stuff and that's that's handy information to have in your back pocket as it were Uh, yeah i'm pretty sure austin could have told you that because that's why he got kicked out of his last hoa (laughs) (laughs) but uh yeah i mean it was relatively special i it's um it was striking i don't know i did take note of the fact and they reference this that she does have a lot of advantages that most single mothers wouldn't have and so even when they display it as rough it's going to be much rougher for a lot of single parents and that's just the nature of the beast so to speak but uh murphy's pretty wealthy and she has like five loose dudes hovering around her yeah and you know she can afford a nanny and all that kind of stuff that most so i and that so i don't think some of the uh difficulties of being a single mother i don't know would be explored throughout this series as so i but at least it's you know it's presenting it and it's telling you you know it's a perfectly valid family and it's perfect which seems weird today but i guess maybe that was a point that needed to be made back in the <laughs> 92 uh austin did you learn anything this episode um i learned just how much of a failure i was for my lactation failures 
Yeah. Jeez. How could you not know? Let you know. I mean, I knew I was a failure. I just, I, I learned the <laughs> scale to which I had failed. <laughs> Finally. Finally. Uh, let's see. I learned that Peter Boners has been with us throughout time and history. <laughs> Peter Boners is the friends we made along the way. <laughs> Peter Boners just pops up in any episode. And you just have to handle it. Not right? polite. It's ne- you never know when, when you're going to... When Peter Boners is going to pop up. Just... Well, like, Murphy Brown referenced becoming a higher being by lack of sleep, and yeah. I think Peter Boners has, like, ascended to an even higher plane, and I'm not... It's by sheer Boners, I suppose, but... <laughs> you know he's there. Like, he's everywhere. <laughs> you watch out for the Boners. Um, <laughs> and I thought it was a very special episode. You know, I wish that, like, the liberal slam point of the potatoes felt better now. I thought, like, when I was a kid, when I'd be older, that it would be, like, a slam dunk kind of three-pointer. Cool. You can do both of those, right? Slam dunk for three yeah. points. <laughs> I don't know what the exact rules of slam dunking from the three-point. I think that's only a two-pointer, but well, it'd be impressive nonetheless, though. I can tell you that. It'd make a lot of highlight reels. Yeah. That's what I thought it was. And from I- downtown! <laughs> You can yeah, do exactly. it on NBA Jam. Yeah, you certainly can do it in NBA Jam. That's a true <laughs> statement. You can do flips while you're at it, too. <laughs> and then, you know, direct action gets the goods. Yeah, it was very <laughs> special to be this professional business lady with a baby and all these loose men. Is Murphy polyamorous? It's not our business, but maybe. And it was cool to see, like, the show actually play with the news that hard. That was a real... Um, power move to engage with this real political drama that was engaging with this show. That'd be like if Game of Thrones wrote in Trump and he got like ate by a crow or something. <laughs> I don't know if that's the exact you know, metaphor. That's the metaphor <laughs> name Fuck you. That's exact. <laughs> I'm just saying one was a fantasy show. Like... <laughs> It's not like Hercules in the '90s was suddenly like Xena's not suddenly bringing in uh, you know politicians. So. You know Trump would walk into any of those shows. So how? oh well, yeah, Trump would do anything to get on camera. We know that. But and I thought about my metaphor just as long and hard as real Game of Thrones writers. So. <laughs> That's for next podcast. It is. It is pecked by a crow. So, uh, let's see, that is our very special episode. Thank you for joining. We are all kinds of online, and we will get to there. I'm going to start my book. David, (laughs) you aren't dumping potatoes on a politician's lawn. Where can we keep up with you online? Uh, You can find me dump metaphorical potatoes on people's (laughs) lawn on Twitter, at Dr. Bit. That's a doctor spelled out. And you can find my writing at therealgentlemanofleisure.com where I review the aforementioned Game of Thrones. And I'm not always kind to that either. But And Austin Garden, in between mm. lactation exercise, where can we find you online? Uh, you can find me online where you can give me lactation advice uh, on Twitter <laughs> at Austin Gordon, And you can read my writing as well at therealgentlemanofleisure.com. The real gentleman of lactation.com. <laughs> Squirt. <laughs> and I, your host this evening, am Carolyn Maine. You can find me on Twitter. You can find me on Patreon and get a cool postcard every month. 
And you can listen to my other podcast, Pitch Please, at Cranival Studios. And you can buy the card deck at pitchplease.fun. And I am Carolyn Main, C-A-R-O-L-Y-N-M-A-I-N, like the street, just right at Twitter. Find me there. Uh, speaking of Twitter, you can find our podcast there. We're a very special episode, and our Twitter is... That's at A-V-S-E-Pod. At A-V-S-E-Pod. <laughs> A-V-S-E-Pod. <laughs> find us on Twitter. You can also rate and review us on iTunes, or listen to us via Podbean, Stitcher, or Google Play, and check us out on our Facebook page. And you can email us uh, about Austin's TV show, that or no, his movie... Point Break? What was it? Striking Distance. (laughs) No, Point Break is also one of my favorite terrible movies. (laughs) And I bet uh, some Murphy Brown guy is in it, right? (laughs) Probably, yeah. You can email us uh, at avscpodcast at gmail.com. And we're going to be having a listener's choice come up, so make sure to vote for that in the near future. And listen, we're all going to do a theme episode and explore that. So... Without further ado, we are a very special episode reminding you that we live in confusing times and it's probably only going to get worse. Yay! R-O-O-T, because it's like a root vegetable. Uh, oh my god. Peter Boners. Oh, man. Who gives a shit? He's a fucking asshole, and he's a bitch. Every fucking political scandal has to have a suffix gate thrown onto it. Watching it because on TV, and then I was like, oh, they're referencing this thing that I saw on the news. Yeah, I was excited for that part, you guys. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, free pasta is free pasta. I'm not going to turn on my nose at that. I know, I'm getting hungry here. We're going to have to stop now and then. Wow, you're saying this is not our first boner? Uh, this is not our first boner. Speak for yourself. And he's a party animal, so, yeah. I know! <laughs> <laughs> we limbo! <laughs> for my last trick, you're pregnant! <laughs> They'll do anything for ratings. Yeah, that was this AVSC on your home PC with some VIPs of SBTP. Was it Austin G, Dr. DB, RAT, or the C Money? What the heck was with that TV? This podcast is kind of funny. Excuse us all, cause we gotta go pee. That was a very special episode We dissected that shit from head to toe Did the time fly by or was it slow? Got so many life lessons Oh how we've grown Seen so much TV that we're gonna explode Next time on a very special episode This a very special episode dedicated to a very special big sister, Katie Main, and eventually Katie Krakowski, 1978 to 2019. Rest in peace. Catch you on the moon bus.